Hello, and welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast, the show that brings in thought leaders across the utility space to learn more about the latest challenges and trends defining the energy systems across the country and shaping our future. And a quick thank you to Wes Monroe, our sponsor of today's show. Now, let's talk energy. I'm Jason Price, Energy Central Podcast host and director with West Monroe, coming to you from New York City. And once again, I'm joined from Orlando, Florida, by Matt Chester, podcast producer and Energy Central community manager. Matt, the utility sector is closely regulated, and it seems every week we're hearing about new policy proposals coming from federal, state, or even local governments. And that relationship isn't just a one-way street, though and utilities are often working directly with policymakers and regulators to move towards shared goals. Matt, as the Energy Central's community manager, how often do you see articles and discussion groups talk about policy and regulation by the utilities? That's a great question, Jason. And I'll say it's likely one of the topics that's actually most asked about in our Energy Central community. While the policies and regulations imparted at each different level of government on the power sector, it, it impacts each office, each department of a given utility. That said, not everyone within those utilities is themselves an expert on the public policy process. So you'll have everybody from the C-suite through HR and power plants and linemen on the streets all wondering what is policy going to do to make their jobs more successful, perhaps worrying about misguided regulations impacting them negatively, and generally wanting to learn more about the process. So. That's why having experts who are directly plugged into the intersection of the utility business and the public policy world is so critical for us. That's interesting to hear, and it sets the stage for a conversation that will thus really interest our listeners today. The work that happens in the offices of public affairs across utilities is of critical and ongoing importance. And we're lucky today to be able to chat with someone who served as the vice president at a prominent Northwestern utility Portland General Electric. We're going to be hearing from Dave Robertson, former VP of Public Affairs. Dave has worked in public and government affairs for PGE for the better part of two decades. Given the high prominence that the energy sector as a whole has recently played in government and public policy debates, from clean energy to grid reliability to new energy technologies and more, we surely have a lot to learn from Dave. So let's bring him in here. Dave. Welcome to the Energy Essential Power Perspectives Podcast. Hey, Matt and Jason. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really, really grateful to be here. It's going to be a fun discussion. Uh, likewise, we're thrilled to have you on. So, Dave, I know we're catching you for this episode at a crossroads in your career. So I'd love to start at the beginning of your time with Portland General Electric, and we can work our way forwards from there. You had mentioned to us that you got your start right as the Enron scandal was playing out. What was that like for you? Did it give you any pause about working in the power sector or was it more of a motivation to do things better? Yeah, great question. Yeah, uh, I think a little bit of both. I came to PGE 18 years ago and so we were right at the middle of 2004 and that was right as Enron, if you folks are utility folks listening in on the podcast, remember we were owned by Enron for a very short period of time, but that was after their bankruptcy, after the West Coast energy crisis, and they were exiting and trying to sell PGE. So 
I came right at the end as really the Enron team was really a bunch of bankruptcy attorneys trying to pay back creditors and, and sort of manage all of that. And so it was a pretty interesting time. I'd come from working at PG&E, where I worked for their National Energy Group, which was the not the California utility, but their other business lines, uh, independent power producer, business line, natural gas pipeline, energy trading, energy services. And, and I had been there. And part of the reason why I left there is because out of the California PG&E bankruptcy, they sold our business. And so to your question about what was it like? I come right from PG&E, was super glad to be the director of government affairs for Portland General Electric. And then I joined right as they were supposed to emerge from bankruptcy. And, you know, and it turned into a uh, like two or three years more of churn. And so I, I remember having coffee with my uncle, Jack Robertson was his name, and he was the deputy administrator at Bonneville Power Administration. And I had talked to him about taking the job at first. And then as things started to really get crazy at the end with, uh, we had five public utility district campaigns all at the local level, four bills at the legislature to make us public power. The city of Portland tried to take us over and we had three failed sales attempts. And I remember having coffee with my uncle going, uh, did I make a mistake here? What did I get myself into? Because this is crazy. Fast forward a couple of years to 2006, we were at, in New York on Wall Street at the stock exchange ringing the bell and becoming a standalone utility again. And that's really what our, our local governments really wanted that and our, our stakeholders really did. And I think the expectations were high when we came out to be be better, right? I hope those our stakeholder friends and, and uh, regulators and everybody else feel like we've really stepped up to that and built a strong Northwest utility, really with a desire to punch above our weight at a national level. And that, that's what really kind of gets me up in the morning and why this has been such such a fun job here at Portland General Electric. Well, that's a great story, a great journey, and a great uncle. So that's that's great. Yeah, to hear. Right. yeah, he is a good uncle. So, having entered the world of utility government affairs over two decades ago means you've been at the front lines of the clean energy revolution. Did you ever think that regulatory intervention was needed to move the needle, or were you and your colleagues already moving in that direction? Well, I mean, I think you guys have been involved in this industry for a while, and it's been gradual, right? It, it, I think the Public Utility Regulatory Policy Act passed in back in um, 1978, and that was really to spur on small renewable development, and it's still alive today, but it took a while to really catch some momentum. And of course, the climate crisis has really sped it all up. And so I think the when you think about utilities, and you know, our listeners understand this for sure, but not everybody in the world does, that utilities are a creature of our legislatures and regulation, right? And so we're built to be reliable, safe, affordable, and steady. And so I think that when you think about how do you move the needle in an environment like that, where you're really driven by regulation and policy and enabled by it, you need that regulatory intervention. You need the partnership with your regulators with the stakeholders, with consumer groups, environmental groups, to find that sweet spot and be able to have a clear path to move forward. Because without it, our life in the utility nerd world is uh, really dependent on that clarity of the roadmap going forward. So yeah, it's, it's been a good one. We definitely had a, a disposition here to move, certainly where our customers are very interested in clean energy and environmental protection here in the Northwest and in Oregon. And that really fueled a lot of certainly who we are as employees working for PGE and we're having the customers at our back uh, helping us 
push forward. We've been the number one renewable, voluntary renewable energy program in the country for like 13 years running now. And that's the customers, right? Those are the ones that are fueling that. And so I think that regulatory intervention is important, but we've had that customer push for a couple decades now, and that's really helped as we move to clean energy. So Dave, now that you're approaching retirement, I believe in the next couple of weeks, how about look back with the benefit of hindsight and talk about how you would have potentially done things differently? Or would you have a view on what the policies and regulations should have looked like and how they maybe got it wrong at the outset? Yeah, yeah, great question. You know, when I think back the last 15 years, I gave a few date milestones on that first question, you know, independent from Enron in 2006. And in 2007 in Oregon, we did the first renewable portfolio standard bill. So pretty much right away as a policy guy, I was jumping right from, are we going to be an independent company again to, all right, let's go on this journey to clean energy. And so there's, of course, our utility listener understands we have more than just uh, clean energy to worry about, right? We've got rights of way. We're trying to get permits with local governments. I'm sure we can talk about that later if you want. We've got all sorts of government actions. We've got hydro projects with water rights, fish uh, protection that we need to worry about. And I wouldn't necessarily say we got any of it wrong. I'd say, as I look back, with the benefit of hindsight, knowing what we know about this climate crisis and how quickly it's accelerating, I'd say we maybe just did things in the wrong order sometimes. And what I mean by that is at one point, I guess I think we were like three years ago, the first RPS for a readable portfolio standard, that was 25%. In 2007, we closed the first baseload coal plant in the country on the Boardman coal plant. We reached a deal to do that in 2010. And then in 2016, we did a 50% renewable portfolio standard and a bill to get coal out of our rates by 2030. And so all of that was a pretty steady march. I guess I would say the backdrop of all that as a policy matter, we had goals and statute in Oregon for greenhouse gas reduction. And you asked the question earlier, Jason, about regulatory intervention. And a lot of times utilities do really well when the regulatory path is super clear. Like, here's your mandate, here's your goals, now go get it done. And I'd say we could probably have gone a little faster if we had just sort of set those goals uh, earlier on and made them a mandate and then just went to work on planning for that transition. Again, it's hindsight. I think we're in the right place right now. We, we passed 100% clean energy law in Oregon in uh, 2021 in the legislative session. And we had 100% clean energy goals as a company the year before that. And so we're where we need to be and where we're going. I'm on the Oregon Global Warming Commission, and they, they just are releasing a modeling study they did, and which will basically say that Oregon, uh, with all the policies and regulations that have been passed in the last few years, is going to be on track to hit its decarbonization goals by 2035. So that, that's good news. There's a lot of work to implement that and get it done right. But yeah, I, I think we're um, not necessarily differently, but I think in light of the climate crisis, if I could uh, take the time machine back, I'd say let's let's jump right to the mandate a lot quicker and, and just get working on it. Sure. Everything that you just described and all the topics you cover, I would think that outsiders probably make the assumption that the public affairs office, the government affairs team is it's a big department full of an army mm -hmm. of lawyers and lobbyists and all the resources you need to get the job done. Yeah. I don't think that's the case. Can you enlighten us about Shed that? Shed some light on that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not large at all. You know, we're, so we're Portland General, for folks who don't know, we're 
a little shy of a million customers, about 900 something thousand. We cover 4,000 square miles. We're a fairly compact service area. We go from the Columbia River in Portland down to Salem, which is the state capital. That's about 55 miles south of us. We're between the two main mountain ranges in Oregon that go north to south is Mount Hood on the one side. And then we've got a, a you know our coastal mountain range on the other. And we're right in that spot. And so we have 51 cities, six counties. We've got power plants outside that area in eastern the far eastern Oregon. Uh, we've got natural gas plants and hydro plants and wind farms. So we manage state, federal, local, tri and tribal government relations. And uh, we've got nine federally recognized tribal governments in Oregon as well. And, and we've got a, all that with a department of uh, 12 or 13 people, right, between our local and state and federal government teams. And so it's not a huge group. We've got six counties, I think I mentioned. I've got four local government reps that cover the, the counties where we have service. We provide service. We have poles and wires in the street, but they also cover areas where we've got power plants. And then I've got uh, you know folks who do state government relations at the legislature, plus at the state agencies, kind of like Oregon Department of Energy, Oregon Department of Environmental Quality. You know, there's a lot of policy that happens on the rulemaking side, and that team covers that as well. And then, you know, at the federal government, of course, I, and I, I don't know if I mentioned early on, but I started my career as a Senate staffer in the U.S. Senate for an Oregon senator named Mark Hatfield. And so we've got a team that does the federal, like a team of one, plus a little bit of contract help that does the federal side. And sometimes that's more than just Congress, right? You're doing EPA is doing a clean power plan or something like that. And that's policy, right? So we're covering that policy work as well. I guess I'd say we're a bit of a lean, mean fighting machine. We're really focused on partnerships and collaboration and kind of finding those win-wins and uh, kind of moving the policy needle that way. And I think that we've been pretty successful over the last, you know, 18 years or so getting a lot of stuff done that way. Yeah, you certainly painted an interesting picture because especially for newcomers coming to the industry, they don't really know the breakout and the size and how utilities are organized. So I think what you've done is, is very helpful to paint a picture, not only for lifers, but also newcomers to understand, you know, basically the, the, the makeup of um, different departments and yours in particular. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think a little bit further in your role, because that's what we're here about, you know, given that there was a smaller team, but an outsized role in the industry, what are some of the key challenges that you've had to face? What's some of the source of inertia or friction between governments setting policies and rules and you and your teams doing what's necessary to get the work done? Yeah, I think I got a couple, couple of stories on that. One, of course, is just around generally how elected officials you know, government officials generally approach energy, right? It's kind of different at different levels of government. You know, the local governments are practical on the ground. They're, uh, you know, mayors are running into their constituents, which, which are one of the unique parts of the electric utility industry is our customers are almost a one-to-one -one relationship with voters, right? And so we're in every house, we're in every business. And so those local mayors, they're the ones who are going to the grocery store and you know, they've got somebody running into them and yakking at them about <laughs> something that's wrong in the neighborhood or, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, God forbid we'd have them talking about how your, their utility service is terrible. And but, you know, those guys are on the and those men and women who are in those jobs are on the ground. And so the stuff that we work on on a policy basis with local governments traditionally and still today is are things like permitting and you know, the basic things that a line crew needs to do its job, like when are you able to start work in the morning and when do you end in the day and what kind of noise regulations do we have? And, 
you know, what kind of traffic cones do you have to put up? And, you know, that's all really important for the basics of utility life, keeping the lights on, getting work done, whether you're digging in the street and repairing wires or you're up above on the high line repairing wires. That kind of engagement with the local government on a policy basis is super important. So you can have friction there. If we're not, if we're not doing a good job with getting out on the job on time, closing down the job on time so people can commute home without the utility trucks in the road, cleaning up a job site. Those little things are where you can catch some friction between elected officials at the local level and the utility. I think when you transition to the state level or the federal level, you really get a sense of the tension between the ambitions of Elected officials, so let's say there's a a U.S. senator who's got really strong ambitions in in wanting to push a clean energy agenda and push the industry to go farther, faster. A lot of times attention just comes in the reality of how quick an industry like ours can move, right? I mean, we're not an industry that's built for, you know, speed, right? We're more like a cross-country or marathon runner than a sprinter, right? We're built for deliberation and analysis and safety and really careful decision making with the partnership with regulators and and so i think when that sometimes those elected officials really want us to go fast and you know get things done quickly you kind of hit the realities of a a regulatory process and running requests for proposals for example renewable projects and that's just taking a while and you're having to have all the bidders rebid because inflation's really high which is actually kind of happening right now so i mean those things are you get tension there because we're not really rewarded for going fast. We're more rewarded for being reliable, safe, and affordable at the end of the day, and clean, of course. So those are just a couple examples of how you know you see that tension at different levels and and trying to do the very diverse work that our our utility teams have to do every day out in, out in the field. Sure, that's those are great examples. So let's fast forward to today, where Portland General Electric has on the books a commitment to 100%. GHG emission-free energy to mm-hmm. its residents by, I think it's 2040. Um, mm-hmm. From your position, uh, that's been the obvious end game. but what does the role of governing affairs at utilities in your region look like now? I think a couple of things on that. One, we're really, the game now is implementation. The goals and targets in the law are set. And I think that's happening in a lot of states. You know, Washington's like that, California's like that. Idaho doesn't have it in the law, but, you know, Idaho Power has 100% clean goals for greenhouse gas reduction. So we're on a path to do that through many policy forms in the West due to legislation that's passed the last couple of years. And so some of those policy battles are, are for the electric utilities are settled. There are other battles going on about natural gas uh, utilities at the moment, but on the electric side, things are pretty settled and we're really into implementation. And the biggest challenge right now is going to be, can we get projects online and time to meet our goals? Can we do it affordably? Can we make sure it's equitably done so that people in the community who have historically been kind of left behind on the jobs associated with these projects or access to clean energy are part of the part of the mix, right? We're, we're talking to them about how to get this done and and really engaging with communities on that. I think that implementation piece is going to be critical. And so the government affairs piece that you're asking about is shifting from sort of that high level policy down to just how are we supporting project development, project siting for, let's say, wind farms or pump storage or other clean energy projects? How are we helping with the distribution side of our systems, right? Because that whole 
piece of the world, the sort of innovation around the clean grid and solar and distributed generation and kind of relying on customers to turn down their thermostats or being able to do that automatically as a utility. That side of the clean energy equation is going to be super important. And that all that local government work that we do and working with those entities is going to become even more important. So, and we've got cities here, and I, I should probably mention this, but we've got cities in Oregon who want to go 100% clean before the state targets. So we've got a 80% by 2030 state target, 100% by 2040 clean energy, and that's 100% clean energy with the power we serve to our, to our customers. I've got some cities who have passed resolutions who want to get there to 100% by 2035 or 2030. And so one of the challenges for us is, well, how, how, do you, how do you help them with that, right? We're building that base of clean energy, but they're going to want to have like an incremental product or green power purchase that helps them get to clean five years ahead of everybody else. And so a lot of that sort of local government stuff is really going to come into play and, and be important as we are implementing the clean, 100% clean laws and, and trying to help help our customers who want to go further faster get there. So it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating decade for sure. So lots of podcasts to come, I'm sure, for you guys. It's going to be great. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, yeah. When you were listing off those activities that uh, will come out of your office, I would imagine also reporting, right? Just informing yeah. the commissions, importing the you know, performance of the results, what's going on, why you're not hitting certain results. You know, I think that there's yeah. a reporting component too, I would imagine. That's absolutely true. I think that's always been true for regulated entities like us. I mm -hmm. think it's going to be even more true because I think, you know, we're all accountable at some level, right, for making these goals and getting stuff done. And whether you're a regulator at the commission or you're a CEO at a utility or you're a state department of energy, I mean, there's a lot of expectation about it. And I think that reporting is key. Always a no surprises rule in the government affairs world at utilities, right? You never want to surprise regulators or any of our stakeholders that we're not making it or we're having some struggles. We want to bring them along all the way through because they may have some great ideas to help us get around that, right? And so so I think that engagement and partnership is going to be critical. And uh, yeah, that, that reporting is going to be super important. I think the way we gather that clean energy data is a big piece of even internally on how our systems are set up so that we're we've got the right data gathering so that we can report and be accurate sort of more than a once a year basis right you're gonna have to report on that a lot more real time yeah sure we're gonna shift for a moment to a different component of the show uh, but okay. we are gonna go come back and give you the last word but we're now we're gonna enter in what we call the lightning round which is mm -hmm. where we ask you some questions where we want to learn about Dave Robertson the person not Dave Robertson, the professional. We're gonna ask you a series of questions. Keep your uh, response to uh, one word or phrase, okay. um, but feel free to elaborate if you need to. Uh, we're not gonna, you're not gonna lose points from that. Uh, okay. So are you ready? Sounds good, I'm ready, I'm ready. Okay. What time of day is best for you to get work done? Morning. If you had a theme song played when you entered a room, <laughs> what would it be? It's a long way to the top if you wanna rock and roll by ACDC probably. If you weren't working in energy, what might your career path have been? Government or mountain bike manufacturing. What is your favorite store to register for your retirement party? Hint, hint. Uh, yeah, a good one. Uh, REI, for sure, REI. What are you most passionate about? The climate fight, clean energy, and mental health parity as well. Terrific. Thanks for pulling back the curtain to let us learn a little bit more about yourself. 
So as a reward for your performance, we're gonna give you the floor. And knowing that your peers across the utility industry are listening in, what's the one takeaway piece of knowledge you hope they glean from today's conversation? Thanks for the floor, that's great. I love my utility peers. We have a, an incredible industry that is super collaborative. We share best practices. We talk all the time. We have uh, mutual assistance agreements where when we're in trouble in a ice storm or a wildfire, we got utilities from all over the West to come and help us and help our teams. And I just first off want to express my gratitude to our listening audience and all the, all the partnerships on policy and just on every day, getting the job done that we've been able to do over the years I've been here has really just made coming to work fun for me. The next 10 to 20 years are going to be the most consequential in our industry, I think, since the 1930s when we were trying to electrify America. It's an amazing opportunity to build a system and leave a legacy for our children and future generations around a clean energy system that will serve folks for decades and decades to come. And so we can have a, a huge impact on the planet and you know people in our communities. And we always do. I think utility workers have a heart for service, public service and serving the public. You know, we've got a lot of vets who work at utilities and our line crews are kind of like our varsity team on the field. I mean, those folks are, they have got a heart for service like nobody I've, I've ever met. And this is really a chance for all of us to really have an impact on the, the people that are in our communities, our neighbors and our friends. And they're, they're counting on us, right? I mean, they're counting on us, whether that's policymakers or our neighbor next door to get it right, to make it clean affordable, reliable, equitable. I mean, those are all the pieces that I think are just table stakes for us now. We've, we've got a great opportunity to involve people and get that right. And uh, we also have a great responsibility. So I'm super excited by that. I'd say uh, now that I say all those things, I probably, if I were going to ask myself the question, what the theme song should the utility industry have in their head when they're doing this? I'm stealing your lightning round question, Jason, but when they're doing this uh, transformation over the next 10 or 20 years, I'd probably say Eye of the Tiger is probably where we should be thinking. Like we really got to be focused and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of work, and uh, it's just going to be an amazing, amazing couple decades. That's awesome. And that's a great song, by the way. So that's yeah, great. Right. Well, this is phenomenal. I mean, I think that um, having the opportunity and privilege to talk to you is uh, is really extraordinary. And we speak to movers and shakers in this industry, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. And I'm really excited to hear what the Energy Central community thinks of this conversation. And I'm sure they'll let us know in the comments section. So thank you so much, Dave, for sharing your insight with us on today's episode. You bet, guys. Thanks so much for having me. And I love your podcast. It's really really helpful for the industry. Thanks for uh, keeping it going. Well, we appreciate that. And you can always reach Dave through the Energy Central platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. And we also want to give a shout out of thanks to the podcast sponsors who made today's episode possible. Thanks to West Monroe. West Monroe works with the nation's largest electric, gas, and water utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility, operations, and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, advisory on transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, data and analytics, and cybersecurity. And once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. So plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast.